Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 14th chapter. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves. The wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. It's the middle of August, and that means it's time to start thinking about the school year. Even those of us who are no longer in school are still governed by those nine months of the year that children are. For pastors, we think about curriculum. We think about the Bible studies we're going to be doing over the course of the year, the Bible classes. And also, here at Calvary, of course, we think about Sunday school and CEC. What's going to be looked at? What's going to be discussed? What's going to be studied? For the CEC kids here, before they start the catechism, many of you will remember, and many of you certainly know now from experience, you begin with Bible stories in the years leading up to the catechism. More specifically, you do a Bible history. We learn the overarching story of the Bible from start to finish and the key stories in it. But these are, it's a, while it's important to know the Bible history, to understand just the greater narrative of what God's Word has to say, I think it's particularly important, though, and many other pastors and teachers do, that you hit strongly on the stories that illustrate doctrine, the stories that give a good example of the things we're going to be learning in the catechism. So consider, example, for example, the Ten Commandments. It's easy enough for anybody to read, to memorize, or to recite the commandment itself, and then the answer to Luther's question, what does this mean? That is the explanation. But that commandment itself is reinforced when you have a Bible story that goes with it. A Bible story which hopefully one will illustrate how the commandment is kept and blessing comes. The other will illustrate how the commandment is broken and curse and punishment come along with it. So for example, if you want to learn about the Eighth Commandment not bearing false testimony against your neighbor, you could think of how Jacob deceived his father Isaac, so he could get Esau's blessing. The Lord had promised, of course, that the older would serve the younger, Esau would serve Jacob. But Jacob couldn't wait. He was worried that Esau would get the blessing, and so he lied to his father, impersonating his brother so that Jacob's, so that Isaac's blessing would fall to him. And we know well the story. There was a lot of animosity unneeded between the brothers because Jacob deceived Isaac. If you want to talk about the fourth commandment, honoring father and mother and right authorities, well, a bad example would be David's son Absalom starting his rebellion against David because he wanted to be king and it did not end well for him. Or if you want a positive example of keeping the fourth commandment, you need no, go no further 
than the gospel, which tells about Jesus, a boy of 12 years old, going and submitting to his parents and learning from them and following them after he was found in the temple. Sometimes, though, the Bible stories that we have don't just illustrate one commandment or one point of doctrine, but you get a bunch of parts that are illustrated all at the same time in a scattershot fashion. The one that I always go to immediately, if you said, Pastor, what's a story that shows you all the commandments you shouldn't break at once? I would say David and Bathsheba. It's a great story. It's a horrible story of what happened, but a great story for teaching. You have him starting off with the Tenth Commandment being just destroyed. He covets his neighbor's wife, Bathsheba. You have him moving on very quickly to the Sixth Commandment, you shall not commit adultery, being broken as he sleeps with a woman who is not his wife. You have then the lies, breaking the Eighth Commandment, bearing false witness as he tries to cover it up, enticing Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to come and sleep with her so that he thinks that the baby is his. And then when all of that comes to naught, you have the fifth commandment, murder, as he has his troops leave Uriah in a place in the battle where he will die, and hopefully David and Bathsheba's sin will not be uncovered. All these Bible stories teach us well the doctrines of God's word, and as we have summarized them, the parts of the catechism. And particularly, you'll find a lot of Bible stories that just nail an illustration about the second table of the law, love your neighbor as yourself, as David and Bathsheba does. But you'll also find good Bible stories that illustrate the first table of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind just as well. And in today's gospel, we have a story, a miracle from Jesus' own life, which illustrates very well the first commandment. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. We're told in Matthew... That after, right after, Jesus fed the 5,000 miraculously, he sent his disciples across the Sea of Galilee on a boat, and he himself, Jesus, withdrew to a quiet place to pray by himself. In the middle of the night, once the disciples were far away from the land and far away from any sort of sure harbor to go into, it says that they were beleaguered by wind and waves, or to put it in our language, a storm came up and made their going in the boat very, not just difficult, but dangerous. Now, during the fourth watch of the night, Matthew tells us, that's about 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., sometime during that time frame, it says that Jesus came out to them walking on the water. Now, at first, they're afraid. They don't know that it's him. They think it's a ghost, as it says so clearly. But once he identifies himself, don't be afraid, it's I, Jesus, Peter makes a request. Lord, command me to come out to you and walk on the water to you, and I will do it. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus says, come. Peter gets out. And just like the Lord himself, he gets to walk on top of the water. And it's all going fine. But then he starts to sink. He cries out, of course, desperate, as any one of us would be if we were in the same situation. Jesus grabs him by the hand. They get into the boat. Jesus calms the storm. And everything is hunky-dory. The disciples make the good confession that Jesus is the Lord. Now, all is well that ends well, right? And if you think about this miracle, it's kind of a typical one. You have a problem. You have a miraculous solution that Jesus brings about. And then you have faith being confessed. Faith resulting from the people that witnessed it 
And one more tick in the column of Jesus is the Son of God, He is divine. But I'd say that this story from Matthew's Gospel gives us something else too. It gives us a good lesson to remember about trust. The trusting in God is something we should do. The trusting in God, as we know according to the first commandment, is something we should do above all things. Peter, of course, started well, and he ended well. The problem, as ever, was in the middle. When he realized it was Jesus, what does he do, remember? He steps out onto the water himself, walks on the water, trusting in Jesus that he will be able to do it. And he does. His trust is not misplaced. And if you stop and just pull back a little bit, you might say, well, if I saw Jesus, my first reaction would be like, let me walk on water too. Well, for Peter, it kind of makes sense. Look at the preceding chapters of Matthew, what Peter and all the rest of the disciples had witnessed from the Lord. They knew his raw, strong, and complete power to help, to save, to multiply, and yes, now to walk on water. So of course, why wouldn't he think that it was possible for him to do it too? Now Peter believed, but there was a mistake that he had. And his mistake was in this. Once he was out of the boat, walking on the water toward his Lord, G Peter quit looking at Jesus. He stopped looking at Jesus and it says he saw the wind. He started looking away from the object of his trust, his faith, his hope, and he looked at the thing which caused fear and consternation. And what does it say? He became afraid and then he began to sink. Or in catechism terms, when it came down to it, Peter feared the storm more than he trusted in Jesus. I think it's fair to say, if we're being honest here, give it a moment's thought, Peter's problem here is something that each one of us in turn struggles with ourselves from time to time. That is to say, we fear things in life more than we trust in our Savior, Jesus Christ. So, of course, naturally, every one of us goes through bad things. We all have the proverbial storms, the proverbial wind and waves like the disciples were on, right? Christians, no exception to that rule. If only we were. Now, whenever those storms rise up, I think it's no surprise whatsoever when people without God, that is to say people who have no faith, people who do not know a gracious and loving God like Christians do, it's no surprise when they despair of help. I'm not surprised at all when somebody who is an agnostic or an atheist goes through something terrible in life and is completely and utterly shattered by it. That's not surprise because at best they have their own efforts to fix it. And so they find themselves completely helpless. They don't turn to anybody in prayer. Or maybe at worst, they believe in faith that there's absolutely nothing that they can do about it. It's no surprise when non-Christians despair of help. What surprises me is when Christians do. When Christians find ourselves in a pickle and we throw our hands up. That's a problem. That's a surprise, especially if that Christian has been well taught in what the faith is and who God is in his relationship to us. It's a surprise, not because the wind and the waves, so to speak, in our lives aren't real. It's not because they're not dangerous or actual problems. Of course they're real. Of course they are problems. 
But it's a surprise because we know, or we ought to know at least, that those wind and waves aren't the final power and authority in our life. They're not the biggest thing. They're not the biggest thing at all. Jesus Christ is. Life's troubles, as the hymn goes, they do rise to meet us. Sickness and death, injury, war, poverty, inflation. Sometimes I feel like we haven't seen nothing yet when it comes to inflation. Neglect, broken relationships, divorce, abandonment. list goes on. All of these winds and waves are there. All of them are real. They assault us. But my question for you Christians walking on the water, what is that? What are those things, bad as they are, compared with the raw power and the love of God for you in Jesus Christ? The truth of the matter is, relative to Jesus Christ, these things are nothing. Death itself, the ultimate wave, if you want to call it that, was something that took Jesus and he came right back up out of it with the promise that whoever is in him by faith will also come out of it. That is to say, if we are Christians, we know that we get to win in the end. So why look at the little things, the winds and the waves, the troubles in life, like they're just this insurmountable obstacle which is going to only destroy us and only separate us from God? They won't. They can't. Jesus comes to us today in our lives here in 21st century America, not walking on water like he did with the disciples in Matthew 14, but he does come to us. He comes to us in his word, the scriptures. He comes to us in the sacraments, offering life and salvation. And for me and my time, my energy and my money, I'm going to go ahead and look at him in the places that he comes to me and focus on them instead of the decay, the death, the misery, and the awfulness of the world around me, even in my own heart. I will trust in him more than I fear the very real, fearful things of this world. Why? Because he's the Lord. So that's my exhortation to you this morning. Christians, look at Jesus Christ. Stop being more afraid of the wind and the waves in your life then you trust in him. He's over and above those things. And so long as you are in him by faith, you will be too. Even though they may persist for a time and a season, right? The fourth watch of the night, most of the night was gone and they'd been struggling. It's a long time for them. I'm sure it felt like it. Even if these things persist, so what? Christ is Lord. Christ is a stronger Lord. A Lord that comes to you directly with his word and promised signs of forgiveness, life, and salvation. So all the days that God gives you in this world, look at him until the day that he pulls you into his own eternal boat. Amen.